Welcome back to the Away We Go podcast, a podcast all about couples travel and everything in between. My name's Andrew. And I'm Kayla. And on this week's episode, we're going to talk a little political. Um, we're going to be talking a little bit about how politics plays into it. And we thought this would be a, a pretty interesting topic. It being travel. But we thought it'd be appropriate as uh, for Canada, at least. We're moving into a federal election here in September. But there's also talks about things like vaccine passports, which for some may appear taboo. So we thought we would talk a little bit about our experience with um, kind of how politics, passports, and how that plays out when it comes to travel. But yeah, I never like to get too political. Mm. But uh, I think there is something to be said about the fact that travel in general is political. Oh, 100%. Um, but Kayla, let's not get into the nitty gritty. Uh, everyone knows that before you talk <laughs> politics, you have to have a drink. Of course. Uh, and as we do on here and away we go, we like to crack a cold one. But uh, today we're doing something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, so my parents were just visiting some family out in Ontario uh, and they brought us back a bottle of uh, sortilege, which is a liqueur or a whiskey, if you will, actually, from Quebec. It's only 30%, mm. but it is a mixture of Canadian whiskey and maple syrup. Two of the best Canadian products you can buy. So anyway, we got a bottle of that and we thought we would crack it open. And I feel if we're going to talk politics, you need some whiskey. And because it's a little bit of Canadian politics, some yeah. Canadian whiskey won't hurt. So, All right. So cheers. Cheers. Okay, that's, that's just maple that's syrup. Just maple syrup. <laughs> I think my dad just brought us back a bottle of maple syrup. My God. Okay. Yeah, that's sweet. Yeah, I poured Kayla and myself uh, a double on ice. Um, <laughs> Kayla's drinking it like it's pop at this point. I kind of wish there, I had asked for a couple more ice cubes in there. Really? But I feel like at this point, if it's too cold, it feels like you're getting maple syrup straight out of the fridge <laughs> and you're just drinking it. <laughs> no, but I mean, it needs a little bit of dilution. It's really good, though. Oh, my God. Yeah. We've done a couple whiskey oh tastings God, in the past. I can't stop. And they always tell you to kind of like <laughs> swirl it around the, your glass to see the there's, viscosity there's of it. There's good legs on it. For anyone who doesn't know whiskey talk, legs is basically the dripping down. So if you swish it around your glass, yeah. you kind of leave a little bit of liquid on the glass. And the legs is basically how thick those droplets are that run down the edge of your glass yeah. back into Back into the actual the drink itself. Is. So yeah. anyway, we're going to be drinking this throughout. Hopefully we don't need more than the double that I've poured us, but... <laughs> Who knows? Let's get into it. So on today's podcast, as I mentioned in the intro, we're going to talk politics and passports. And Kayla, I want to start with you. You, over the last little bit, I know, have done a little bit of digging into uh, passports, if you will. Because I know when we were talking about our Around the World trip, uh, which if you haven't heard, check out our earlier podcasts. Um, but one of the things, obviously, that goes into it is kind of like visas and access and concerns around where our passport's good. Mm-hmm. So... Tell us what you know about passports and maybe more specifically Canadian passports really and how that kind of fits into it yeah. all. So I think the biggest thing to to say first off is that passports are a privilege. They are not a right. Basically, with that comes the understanding that not all passports are created equal and where you live in the world plays a big role in how accessible travel is to you. Right. So if I were to make you guess what do you think is the most privileged passport in the world? Who's got the easiest pass, if you will, to get into all the different rides? Correct. In this case, their countries. Yes. Okay. Um, right off the bat, my thought is Europe. I would have said the UK before 
Brexit. So now I'm not thinking it's them. I want to say France would be the top. Do you know if they're in the top at all? They are number six. They're tied with a couple other countries and you can access 188 destinations with the French really? passport. 188. Yeah. The number one passport yeah. can access 193 destinations. Um, so France is six. Uh, I'll ask one follow-up question. Okay. Are any of the top five European? Yes. Ooh, which number? Just tell me which number. Uh, three and four have some European places in them. Have some European places in yeah, them. Yeah, so some of some of these are tied because oh, they can okay. access the same amount of numbers. Okay. So um, the number one can is only one name. There's only one name. Number two is one name. Number three is two names. Okay. Number four is four names. All right, let's worry about the top three or four, if you will, because okay. three has two of them. All right. Is Sweden one of them or Switzerland? Because they were pretty neutral. No. I'm thinking more time. Okay. Give me num- Give me the two of number three. All right. Number three yeah. is Germany no. and South Korea at 191 what? destinations. Okay. That got weird. I, re- I My first thought was like Germany, but then I was like, mm, historically speaking, maybe not. South Korea is a left. That's a curveball. Mm-hmm. For number two, give me the continent we're talking about here. Asia. Oh, fuck. Okay. <laughs> um, it's not China, is it? Nope. I'll give you a couple little clues. Okay. Uh, this is a very wealthy country. Luxembourg. I said it's in Asia. Damn, you're right. I jumped the gun there. Luxembourg okay. is number four, though. Oh. They're in number four, along with uh, Finland, Italy, and Spain, with 190 destinations. Okay. So, you're so saying, these are all very close. Right. So you're saying this one is a well-off Asian country. Mm-hmm. The capital city is named after the country itself. Oh, shoot. The capital city is mm-hmm. named. I've, now I feel dumb. Someone's definitely listening to this yelling <laughs> the answer like, you idiot. It's this one. <laughs> Asian country that has a capital named after itself or has the same name for mm-hmm. the capital. It's a fairly small country as well. I'm actually blanking on well-off Asian countries. And then your second clue actually didn't help mm. because now I'm like, do I know Asian countries <laughs> that have the same... <laughs> name all right i'm just gonna tell you okay yeah we're burning airwaves at this point yeah. go for it number two is singapore the capital of singapore is singapore yeah i always thought there was something else singapore is a sunny tropical island in southeast asia on the southern tip of the malay peninsula okay. singapore is a city a nation and a state what is the main city of Singapore? Singapore. Okay. Uh, except in their language, it's Singapura. Yeah. Kayla, our fans are very interested in number one. <laughs> Give me a hint on number one. It is another Asian country. Oh, okay. It's definitely not it's China. It's not China. It's 100% not China. At this point, you've thrown me off because now we have South Korea and we have Singapore. This is somewhere that we want to travel at some point, but we know that it's going to be an expensive trip. In Asia? In Asia. Oh, it's, it's Japan. It's Japan. Japan, really? Japan has the most powerful passport, so they can access 193 destinations with their passport. All right. Do you want to guess where Canada sits? Uh, I'm going to say top 10. It is in the top 10, yes. Okay. So just give me the number. What do you it think? is number nine. We are okay. tied with Australia with 185 destinations. So that would be eight less than Japan. Yeah. That's good to know. Okay. Do you want to know the countries? worst in the world? I feel like it's got to be Middle Eastern. With 26 destinations. It's not like Palestine or it's definitely not Israel. Palestine is number 110 and we're looking for number 116 here. Oh, okay. Oh, there's so 116 you, that, that the, actually have passports. Yeah. 
No, you know what? Just tell me there's a lot of Middle Eastern. Afghanistan. This lines up. This is uh, timely, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Interesting. So, Kayla, I guess just t- taking away from that fun game, uh, which we really should have given a name to it. Check your passport privilege. Check your pass. Oh, that's a good one. That's mm-hmm. a good one. We'll get t-shirts maybe. Um, what? Okay. So, what does that have to do with everything? Like, How does that play into travel? And I know, like, again, as Canadians, we're in the top 10. Um, so, I've never been like, can we get to somewhere? Can we not? But what does that mean for people who want to travel? To get out of your home country and to get back into your home country, you need a passport. You need to declare right. where you live. And a big part of the freedom to come and go is that traceability. And it kind of comes down to what kind of accountability will your country hold you in if you were to commit some sort of act in any of those Got countries. Got you. And if- think that kind of ties into our political talk for today um, is understanding that with passports, which kind of are our gateway, if you will, to travel to mm-hmm. a- anywhere we want to go, a lot of that stems from the political side of it, which mm-hmm. is what relationships have we, or when I say we, a country, have built with other countries. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting. And again, this is where some of maybe my night naivete naivete uh comes from when you were saying a lot of these countries because off the bat i'd be like south korea not a bad place but very close to north korea which a lot of people have issues with so why are they so high on the list for access Mm -hmm. uh japan and germany and italy again i know this was 70 years back but i guess politics always lags behind so i'm glad to see that that you know hasn't been the case Mm -hmm. singapore is still also just kind of like a random one but again i guess if there's great politics Um, But you and I discussed this earlier, and I kind of want to start tying this to it. When we talk about it, the other thing that we don't often acknowledge, but I know we have in some of our travels, or at least we've come to be aware of it, is the type of governments that are in place in some of these areas Mm -hmm. or in some of these countries play a large part. We're obviously fortunate, especially for a lot, I will say a lot of quote unquote, first world countries typically have a democratic uh, society or a democratic government. And I would argue that probably makes things a little bit easier when dealing with other democratic Um, kind of powers, if you will, Mm -hmm. to have that conversation. But we start seeing uh, other places where there's monarchies or oligarchies or some form of power that don't view outsiders as welcoming um, or have their own inner turmoil, which then doesn't make them as welcoming as we're seeing with some of these Middle Eastern countries who are Mm -hmm. a little bit lower on the list. They don't get that access. Yeah, I'm curious, and and maybe I'm putting you on the spot here, but when we've traveled, Mm -hmm. and I'm thinking of... I want to say it was, was it Thailand? I remember getting there and there was a prince who, who had just passed. It was the king that had just passed. They have their own governmental system, but they also have this, this monarchy. Mm-hmm. And I think there was some concern about that. Yeah, I think that when we went, family members and stuff like that were a little bit worried because we weren't quite sure what the, if there was going to be like a a series of unrest or anything like that. Obviously, in countries where you still have a monarchy. Sorry, when you said monarchy, I just started singing Hamilton, monarchy. (laughs) So in in countries where you still have a monarchy, you're going to have an interesting split in the population where some of them follow the monarchy and hold that higher than the elected government officials right. and then the the and opposite is also yeah. true yeah. yeah yeah and so it was kind of like we didn't know the political climate of thailand we didn't know what kind of percentage may have preferred the king to the elected officials and vice versa we um when i was in india there was a similar thing where up north 
in India, there were, I believe it was North, I could be mistaken, but there was some, some civil unrest because of a political decision or something of the sort that occurred. And I remember getting a text alert from the government of Canada saying, we know you're in India because you've informed us of this travel. We're letting you know that there's an area near you that there's been some issues. Interesting. Um, avoid a kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that takes me to kind of the next topic that, uh, that kind of flows into this, which is the government of Canada, when we, we talk about Canada has a, has a fairly decent program, which allows you to actually um, inform the government when you are traveling. And this is outside of the visa process, but you can actually set up a kind of a notification or whatever the case saying, hey, I'm going to this location between these dates. And in my scenario, it was really great because they actually, it was an auto-generated text message that mm-hmm. said, or an email that said, we know you're in this area or in this vicinity because of what you've told us. We're letting you know that there might be some unrest. And it mm-hmm. allowed us to make sure we didn't travel outside of it. Kayla, in, in talking about that, one of the sites that you know I often look at, especially when we get to planning, you're always like, where do we go next? What do we do? And you're already writing this list. Meanwhile, I'm on the government website seeing where they don't recommend you go, which, mm-hmm. um, you know, that I get that from my mother. Um, but uh, I was going to say you are your mother's son. Yes. As we move into this election here in Canada, mm-hmm. from a traveler's perspective, and I don't know if other travelers feel this way, but I know from our end, we've seen it and we have friends who it had affected in the US. Mm -hmm. The government that's in place, even in a democratic government, really can affect relationships with other countries, which can affect our accessibility in terms of travel. Mm -hmm. So from a traveler's perspective, what does an election mean for you? Or what are the concerns that kind of pop up? An election could mean the difference between me being able to go to a country and me not being able to go to a country, depending on how that leader is looked at in the world. And we saw that happen in the US when Trump got elected. I I follow a bunch of other um, travel vloggers and bloggers and stuff like that. And Mm. throughout his campaign, especially for re-election, they were very, very adamant of like, please vote this way if you want your travel rights and privileges. And so many people were like, yo, stop being so political. Like you're a travel blogger. Just tell me about travel. And she's like, this is a really important thing because you don't realize that your access to certain countries could go down if this person is elected back into uh, the system. To kind of add to that, I don't think anybody who travels or who's, you know, whether they're nomadic or whether they do it as a hobby, and I hope not, I, I shouldn't speak for everybody, but I hope nobody says, you know, uh, my importance to travel is more important than anything else in the world. But I think that we understand it's a it's a privilege that we get, mm-hmm. but that privilege can disappear. Totally. And, and to your point, it's like some people, that's their life. Well, one of the things that we saw, especially during this pandemic, is that countries all of a sudden were given access and access was taken away from them based on how their government handled the pandemic in general. So the US actually closed their borders and no one from the UK, I believe like China, Brazil, Mm -hmm. they're there are quite a few countries that yep. the U.S. just said, no, like, absolutely not. Like, yes, I know you have a passport. Like, yes, you can get a visa. Yes, there are probably extenuating circumstances, but you are not allowed into our country based off the fact of how, how your government dealt with the pandemic. 100%. And we felt that here in Canada. And I, I again, this is where we straddle the line on politics of saying there's a great way or there's not a great way. And we can cite you know, sources or, um, you know, current current situations going on in certain countries that are fully shut down versus mm-hmm. others that have chose to open and the ramifications of all of that. We're not, that's not our goal here to mm-hmm. get into that, that minutia. But exactly your point is 
we've moved this political component to travel has not only shifted between political relations, but has now shifted to how people uh, govern their own location, their own countries. So how they govern the pandemic, um, what the current situation is. We saw it on a provincial and state level as well, where certain states or certain provinces weren't welcoming certain other ones or vice versa. So it does get political and it gets really weird when you talk about the different level of politics. And uh, again, I know if you're this deep into the to this podcast, you're probably thinking, I didn't know this was a political podcast, but I think it's important to understand that there is a political side to it. And Kayla, you touched on a point that I now want to transition into. Mm -hmm. Um, It's passport related, but it's the vaccine passport. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm, kind of touching this one a little bit. uh, The lion's den, if you will. Mm Mm-hmm. And again, I'm going to try to stay as as unbiased as possible, but I think from we need to kind of speak from our experience, if you will. There's a lot of countries, there's a lot of places that are speaking about implementing a, a vaccine passport that would allow you to re-enter their country or to simply travel there or even be a necessity if you wanted to just simply get a visa. We've actually had quote unquote vaccine passports forever. For years and years and years. Right. And Kale, you've recently, and I say recently, maybe in the last like what, 10 years, had a vaccine passport for a specific travel. And I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about that one and how that kind of actually played into it. And and maybe I would say it's not political. Mm-hmm. It's it's for the kind of community safety, if you will. Yeah. First of all, I want to say that in Canada, at least every single person has a vaccine passport. And basically, you need one to go to school. And so you actually have a record of your vaccinations. Did you get your boosters at six months? Did you get MMR? Your, the measles, the mumps, measles, mumps and rubella? rubella? Yeah. yeah. Uh, which has no relation to Nutella, as I've come to figure out. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I actually had to get a visa for work at one point. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions was, are you up to date on all your vaccination? And this was a requirement, I think, from the client that we were working with. Yeah. Because they it, it, they were like, look, I don't care if the government says you can come without one. Like, we don't want people on here who might. It, it was yeah. a very big concern. Yeah. And it was it was long before COVID was even a yep. thing. It's that measles, measles, mumps, rubella. For me, when I traveled to Peru, they recommended that I get the yellow fever vaccination. And so yellow fever is a big issue in certain parts parts of the world. A lot of South American countries in kind of like the more off the beaten path places, more like denser populations, lower hygiene and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yellow fever is a thing that you have to worry about. And so a lot of times you don't need a yellow fever vaccine. As it turned out, I ended up not going to any of the places that needed me to have it. So usually it's not to go in, you need this vaccination. It's to travel anywhere after you have been to those specific places. We like to donate blood. Yep. When we donate blood, they ask us where we've been. Yep. And a big part of that is because of the illnesses that travel in different parts of the world and things like that. And so when I gave blood right after I came back from Peru and I said I went to Peru, they had to double check every single area that I had been in Peru to make sure that I didn't have the possibility of having the yellow fever or that I had come from a region with yellow fever. I probably could have told her like, hey, I have my yellow fever vaccination card. Here it is. Mm -hmm. But it's something that I always travel with now. Whenever we're going anywhere far away, I always have it with me just in case we happen to touch a corner of a 
country that has it. Right. I actually remember when we started traveling, uh, and this would probably be more 2016 ish. Um, but I remember asking my parents for a photocopy of my vaccine records because mm-hmm. I know they had the old booklet, but it was exactly for that point. I didn't need them at the time, mm-hmm. uh, because of the countries we were visiting, but it was more for me to be like, when was the last time I got tetanus? When was the last time that I got, you know, like, did I have all of the expected childhood ones that, that we get? So yeah, it was it was interesting to denote all of that. So I don't know now, did you want to get into the current passports? Or did you want to talk on something else real quick? Well, I know we've already seen a lot of countries implement like a COVID vaccination record or something passport yeah. of sorts. I think Italy did one recently. Oh, okay. And so basically to get into any store or any event you needed a proof of vaccination. And there's a lot of pushback on this. In my opinion, I would not want to not be double vaxxed. Mm -hmm. I think that being vaccinated is super important to me. Um, I have very high risk people in my family and my social circles, and I'm doing it for them. I think the other aspect too that I'm seeing in the conversation that seems to be appearing and, and the rhetoric, if you will, is when we started coming out with these vaccination records for COVID, they were, and I'll put this nicely, they were a little more loosey-goosey. They were kind of just like, hey, we'll give you a document, we'll give you a link that will prove that you've gotten your vaccinations. Mm -hmm. And now there's a realization that this is a big old game of dominoes, if you will. And if a couple of big countries knock theirs over in the sense that they say, we're going with passports all of them are going to start doing it. And I'm not saying, and I'm thinking that might be the best route. Now, depending on the level that you, you know, you know, the reasoning and there's a lot of other components that go into it, but I know there's a couple, this kind of ties back to the Canadian election that's coming up. There's a couple of parties who've actually already said, we will help fund the provinces push for uh, these, these passports. Yeah. I just want to, sorry, it's kind of going off of that point. No, go for it. I always talk about our privilege and we are so privileged. We are privileged enough that we live in a country where almost 75% of the population is vaccinated at this point. In Canada? In yeah, Canada. I would say so. But when you're traveling to another country, and especially a country that maybe is not as well off or as developed as something like Canada or the US or Australia, they may not have the resources to offer vaccinations to their population. And so that means when you are going in and you are not vaccinated, even if they say like, yeah, everyone can come in, you're putting like that entire country at risk, not even just like a small population. And it's interesting to watch which countries are now putting mandatory vaccination records Mm -hmm. at the forefront, because those are the ones that are caring about their population, not only for like the people within the country, but the people who are visiting as well. I think it's really interesting. Also, real quick, we're at (laughs) 74.85% of people 12 and older. So technically not the full population, but of those who are eligible to get the vaccination, we're at almost at 75% of fully vaccinated, which I agreed. If we look at it globally, we're uh, we're leading the not lead. Eh, we might be leading, but we're definitely up there. Well, you were kind of talking about our election, election. That's coming up. Yep. So the Tourism Industry Association of Canada has actually asked each of the parties for statements oh. on some of their views on tourism and stuff like that when it comes to Canada. If you are voting in a, this Canadian election and yep. travel and tourism is something that is really important to you, I would definitely recommend that you check out their website. They have a bunch of questions ranging from what does your party plan to do to improve tourism? How do you plan on keeping us safe with people coming in from other countries and things like that? And I just want to add real quick to that note before you get into some of the details. 
when we talk about this as well, one of the other things that we keep in mind is that tourism is a is a two-way street. We as travelers love supporting other countries, but we also love supporting our own. Um, but in doing that, or, or in, I guess in that same regard, external tourism, obviously to our provinces, to our country, play a large part in the survival of small businesses, mm-hmm. in the survival of the communities that we uh, constantly support on a day-to-day basis. So for us, we're not only looking at this from the point of view of, hey, where can we go? Where, how can we leave this country? It's also like, we have friends who want to come visit Canada. We have um, re- you know, people that we've made um, these kind of relationships with through travel that we want to come visit us. And this plays a huge part. So I, I get, Kayla, I'll pass it back to you. I don't know if you, there's a couple of things that you can read or summarize, um, or if you just want to touch on a couple key points. Well, there. I just want to also say, I am looking through it. I didn't read it all before we started this podcast, yep. but I knew that they had to have some sort of platform right. or thoughts on these things. There's only two parties that actually have answered these questions, and it's the Liberals and the NDPs. Interesting. I've heard some of the liberal ones around their support for kind of the vaccine passport. I know that was one Mm -hmm. of the things that they had promised. Yeah. So this one, like we've got a question here about what is your party's plan to ensure Destination Canada is well positioned to compete in tourism marketing in Mm -hmm. international markets? So how are we getting people back here and how does your party see that or where do you see the The value? Does your party see the value in it? Um, We've got questions on... What is your party's position on expanding Canada's export markets? Because that plays a big part in who can come in and who can go out and what kind of goods. Building, and yeah. yeah, I like, you know, when we talk about Japan having 193 place destinations, mm-hmm. that's because they do a lot of import export. There are a lot of uh, mm-hmm. trade negotiations going on with all of these other countries. Well, they're an and island, those so they would the have to that, be, yeah. you know what I mean? So yeah, so trade-wise, they would definitely be huge. Those are that. definitely things that fuel how... Their view. How much accept, how much access you have to the rest of the world. What else do we have for questions here? We have with respect to temporary immigration, how can Canada improve on its performance with regards to visa access? Oh, there so we go. when you're talking about like students coming in for school or temporary workers, um, temporary workers yeah. or anything like that, like how does your party Interesting. Deal with that. It puts a nice bow, if you will, on kind of some of the aspects we want to talk about. And again, as we talk about these, our our goal was not to say like one party has the answer or mm-hmm. this party is better, but it's really to say as you get into this election season, especially if you're Canadian or if you are anywhere else in the world and you know there's a lot of governments, uh, government elections or whatever going on at different levels, whether it's municipal, provincial, or I guess or state, depending on where you're at, or federal, consider those as well. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I hope that you as voters are educated, ideally not one uh, one issue voters, um, mm-hmm. but understand that your vote, your participation in the democratic process actually plays a larger part in the community. So yeah. you're not just looking out for what do I get out of all of this, but understanding how are young people uh, being, you know, being treated or what do they get? How are immigrants uh, being viewed or supported? How are small businesses being helped out? What is the, you know, education? But of course, at the same time, from our perspective is what does this mean in terms of, of travel and tourism mm-hmm. and support for that industry, both locally, nationally, and even globally? I'm really glad we did this because we may be doing this podcast for another four years and we won't have an election until then, at least on a federal level. It's something that I think warrants that conversation, understanding the importance of tourism and travel from an election standpoint. With that being said, Kaylin, any last words you want to add? No, I think I like that was kind of 
what I wanted to share. If you wanted to check out some of our information and where we're sharing things, you can always visit us on Facebook or Instagram at Away We Go Podcast. Appreciate you tuning in to a maybe special episode, if you will, <laughs> or a unique one. Yeah, it's a little um, more serious than a little, normal. A little bit more serious, and uh, we kind of got more focused on some of the larger topics, if you will, rather than our fun, nitty gritty travel stories. But we do have some exciting things coming up yep. for the rest of the summer. Hopefully, we're going to share some of our favorite spots in New Brunswick to visit that might be at a later up. date. Our next podcast in two weeks mm-hmm. will be New Brunswick, and then Kayla, we have a special one i think yeah we're month. doing kind of like a mini honeymoon we're anyway we're looking forward to some good some good stuff and, and a return to our regular schedule broadcasting if you will of our travel stories if you have anything that you want to hear about let us know too maybe we'll have some tips on them maybe we can find some people who have some better tips on these things yep. and we'd love to help you plan your next travel so in the meantime happy planning everyone and we cannot wait to see you on the road soon bye bye